This is the Roaring Elephant Podcast, and today, courtesy of Dave, we're talking to our Petrolheads audience. Um, sorry, unfortunately, Jan, uh, we can't talk about this today because the DMCA has taken us out. Well, that's all the time we have for today, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so if... Um, if you've had any experience with um, almost any sort of modern uh, appliance or product that has some form of uh, app or smartphone integration, let's say, you've probably had the thought um, like, uh, this behaves a little bit clunky or, oh, I wish I could get this data out or... I wish I could get it to interact with me a slightly different way. You talk about and, a pacemaker, right? Uh, well, you know, maybe you want to get a graph out of your pacemaker as to how your heart's doing. <laughs> um, but, uh, and if you're listening to this podcast, you are probably uh, reasonably technically minded and you may well have done one of one of several things, one of which could have been you know, go and start hacking something together yourself. Another thing could be going and uh, investigating, first of all, prior art and see what someone else might have done out there. Um, I certainly am more in the second camp where I will go and do a quick search based on, you know, whatever it is I'm looking at. I'm dealing with a interesting uh, a solar project at the moment and I'm interested in figuring out, oh, how can I, you know, put more automation into this um, now, this particular manufacturer does uh, allow you to expose API keys and things like that, but there's only sort of certain things you can do through that. There's much more that you can do through things like protocol sniffing and all that kind of other fun stuff. Now, this all sounds all well and good, right? Because Beautiful you know, you've, you've, you've bought a thing and you want and to you use a thing. thing. Yeah, you own the thing. And uh, and you just want it to work a little bit better. Surely there's nothing wrong with this yacht. Uh, oh, I have no problem with it at all. However, Mazda says differently. Mm. So this was inspired. This sort of discussion is really inspired by this Ars Technica article, where uh, as uh, if you if you're following on YouTube, you can see Jan is uh, showing the particular page where the title is Mazda's DMCA takedown that kills a hobbyist smart car API tool, and like this is becoming increasingly common as the products that we use become increasingly quote-unquote smart and um, there's so much technology built into such a wide variety of things now that people are you know buying these things believing probably the hype of the marketing in some cases as to what amazing sort of things can be done with said product and then they find out in the real life oh like this is a little bit clunky or this doesn't behave the way that I want it to behave or you know maybe the as I said earlier like the smartphone integration with their default app is not particularly great and so many people are taking this into their own hands and there's a huge variety of tiny little one-man band software projects where people have gone off and like figured out oh well you know I've I've 
reverse engineered this, I've sniffed this protocol, or even in some cases, well, I'm just using the APIs that uh, that they're providing, but I'm using them in a different way. And manufacturers are getting very, very bent out of shape with with this. Yeah, and it's it's, it's actually surprising. I mean, this particular master thing. Uh, I mean, they built an API because they have their own app, and they kind mm -hmm. of opened up the API. So that's a good thing. It's not bad mm -hmm. in that. But then they use the DMCA takedown, which is basically a copyright protection thing. So mm. what they're actually alleging is that this hobbyist stole their code to do the thing. Now, there is original jurisprudence that says that using an open API or even a closed API, as long as the API is published, is allowable. The API is just the connector part. You can access that thing. How you access the API? That needs to be a personal art or something you have purchased, licensed, or whatever from somebody else. Mm -hmm. So here, why this happened, my, my main question is why this happened. It's, could this be a safety thing, for example? Because opening the API up opens up Mazda to certain safety issues. Because mm -hmm. if for some reasons an API called to disable the brakes and some hobbyist got hand on code to send API call to disable my brakes while I'm driving down the hill, I would not be happy with that. Mm -hmm. That being said, I don't think that's the case because no. this API has been used by their app, which means that they are able to, <laughs> to disable my brakes, which will be a safety issue anyway. They should never have mm -hmm. the API. API should be mostly read-only and allow for some remote things like opening the door, I guess, because the Forbes, key Forbes are using a kind mm -hmm. of API to make that work. So you're never going to get around that unless you give up that kind of uh, utility. So in this case... It's not about safety, so why would, and let's move away from Mazda now, why would a manufacturer take down a hobbyist little thing? Looking at smart home appliances, mm -hmm. I got a bunch of Hue lights here, Philips Hue lights. No publicity, they're easy to use, they're expensive as hell, but mm -hmm. uh, I've standardized on them, so I'm kind of stuck in that thing now. Um, their app is pretty good. I also have run Home Assistant, and I'm able to access those lights through Home Assistant. No mm. problems. They're two different code bases. I haven't seen anything in Home Assistant that I think got stolen or taken from Philips Hue. And I don't think it ever will, because Philips Hue app only looks at the Hue ecosystem, while Smart Home Assistant looks at the wider thing, and they use the, the different ways of protocol, different protocols to access those uh, devices. Why would a manufacturer of devices stop that? I mean, Worst case scenario, the hobbyist built something kind of cool that they can incorporate in their app to make their app better. Yeah, I, I've I think a lot of this just comes down to control. Like they they don't want to relinquish that level of control. I think the smart devices home automation thing is a perfect example of this. Um, you, I've, I've seen this before where. You know, manufacturer releases smart plug um, that works with you know their app. Um, someone else figures out, oh, actually, we can control this through Home Assistant as well. And then, um, lo and behold, a firmware release uh, comes out for the smart plugs that disables you know or changes um, how things were done to prevent people from using third party. Um, third-party access and this is just one of those sadly really common things where manufacturers 
in a lot of cases, not all cases, but in a lot of cases, um, are so paranoid about, uh, to your point, like their potential exposure to something, what that thing might be is in some cases kind of unclear. Um, and there's a certain element of this I also think is, well, if our app goes wrong, then like we are liable for something. Whereas if um, someone's automation using our API goes wrong and they blame us anyway, um, then it's less clear sort of where the blame is. Now, I would personally argue that you should have you know, checks and balances and controls in place so that even if someone is interacting with your API, it shouldn't be able to do something that may harm or damage the the user or the device or whatever, because like not having those checks in place is just crazy. Um, but it's not really, like, that doesn't seem to be the way that so many manufacturers view this. Yeah, I'm also, while I was thinking, We've seen this kind of stuff before, and I'm talking like 10 years ago when I started in this whole big data thing. Mm. People wanted to gather all the data, so they could analyze and investigate and find cool things to do with data. And one thing that happened a lot then was that, well, you have this, uh, I don't know, parking system, uh, what's it called, that thing that goes up and down in front of the gate of a parking garage. Barrier. Thank you, Mr. Barrier, thought it was a more common, I, I was expecting a nicer word from English. Okay, whatever. Uh, the barrier. barrier thing. Barrière, en français, pourquoi pas. Uh, barrier thing, and they just wanted to read out how many cars came in and out, but no vendor of that barrier said, uh, close protocol, we don't uh, give that data out. And over the last decade or so, we've seen that uh, companies in this case have become much more demanding in uh, when they do an RF uh, request for a proposal, when they do a big acquisition of uh, material, stuff like that. Stuff like open standards, access mm. to logs, access to data has become part of it. And if as a barrier manufacturer, you don't give access to that thing, you will simply no longer be able to sell your product. Now, there are exceptions, obviously, still, but we have seen, I think I can say, over the last 10 years, a big shift in how products are being brought to market for companies to buy, that that had become much more open. This is kind of the reverse of that, where they block it down for consumers. So does that mean that we as consumers now have to start uh, yeah, voting with our wallets, I guess is the way to say it, yeah. and also start uh, asking for this? Because, uh, I mean, I used the Hue example and it intentionally because uh, I was all lyrical about it, but it also has a dark side because very recently they also decided that now to use your uh, Hue stuff, you need to have an account. You used mm -hmm. to be able to just connect the room with Bluetooth and Philips never knew you had a light. Now they're going to, yeah, you need, you need, an, you need an account for safety reasons. Mm -hmm. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the the most common example I can think of this sort of thing is also in um, the, the the graphics um, industry, um, thinking about um, NVIDIA, AMD, Intel, um, and sort of the sort of prevalence of open source drivers. And, you know, there were a number of, um, early on kind of driver projects that were 
sort of spun up and then killed off because the um, the assertion from some of the video card manufacturers was that no, you can't do this. This this is our proprietary code. You can't you can't reverse engineer this. You can't and shouldn't. And we will do horrible things to you if you try to do that. And this is you know the, the situation nowadays is significantly um, significantly better than it was. Still not great. Um, there's definitely a um, if you look at you know organizations like Intel and uh, AMD have have done a lot better in in recent years of publishing open standards and open protocols for their cards so that people can develop open drivers and and have been contributing code. Nvidia is still very much in the uh, in the camp of like we will provide you with a driver and there is there are open drivers but they've been created in a clean room environment with you know, little to no help from the from the manufacturers now i i personally have for a very very long time voted with my wallet and have always preferred manufacturers that have supported open source and open drivers and that side of things um i did with my last generation i did go with a Nvidia card with on one of my machines. It happened to be a machine that, you know, never runs anything, um, never runs Linux, which is unusual for me. Almost everything does, but that's it's my gaming machine, and that's all it really does. And uh, it's been fine for that particular use case, but it does grate against me a little bit. And I do still think that um, you know the the better long term for for lots of reasons is is something that is going to be supportable long after any particular company has decided oh that that product that technology that whatever it might be is no longer important to us we're not selling them anymore therefore we're not supporting them anymore therefore you know we have bricked that device that you spent money on two three five ten years ago and that to me is is kind of feels like absolutely the wrong uh, thing to be doing. That's kind of weird because I'm I understand what you're saying, but my reflect my reaction is different. Uh, first of all, bricking stuff is usually done much much easier through uh, live services kind of stuff where they just shut down the server and now your uh, video doorbell yeah. no longer works because that yeah. thing no longer exists. So drivers typically once they're out, they're out, and you can just there's always a place to download them. So as long as Windows keeps supporting your driver, your gaming PC will be able to function correctly. For me, the only computer that has a graphics card that needs a driver. So that's not an APU, but actually a graphics card is my gaming PC. Mm -hmm. And for me, I actually always bent with NVIDIA because they had a proprietary driver that was good. Mm -hmm. Because the last thing I want to do is when I put up that thing, and I want to play a game or a simulator or whatever, I need to tinker with the driver to make it work again because something changed, blah, 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 blah. I mean, even with NVIDIA driver, sometimes it goes wrong, but then I download, I install. I don't have to do any homework. I can just trust the thing will work. And 99 chances out of 10, it just works. For the stuff that I'm tinkering with, uh, the Linux and other kind of stuff I have lying around here, I don't really have a graphics driver, so I don't really care about the drivers there. 
Uh, you already mentioned Intel and AMD being decent, but yeah, the Linux kernel has proper support. I mean, I will always be able to get yeah. a video screen working. I will be able to see my command prompt and the, the GNOME or KDE or whatever desktop you're using. Yeah. Uh, but that is that's through code contributed largely, not entirely, but largely by those those manufacturers. Yes, but those they're all manufacturers are equal. I mean, for just normal desktop stuff, when you're buying AMD, Intel these days with the graphics cards as well, or NVIDIA, the open source is going to be equal. So making differentiation there mm. doesn't really matter. And I'm not going to say I trust AMD more than NVIDIA. They're both huge companies that are in business to be in business to make money. And whether their drives are open today doesn't mean anything for the drivers tomorrow. So deciding my buying habits on whether or not the driver is open source, that's a good question. Mm. So I think one one other avenue here that we touched on the sort of the bricking of, of certain devices, like, you know, th this happens, whether it's the the live service or, oh, sorry, like because the we no longer support these accounts, these devices, therefore the account that your device requires is preventing it from now working. Um, for me, this comes back to, uh, this is a topic you wanted to bring up, like right to repair. Mm -hmm. And right to repair is, is not just um, sort of being able to uh, you know, fix something yourself when it when it goes down. It's also being able to continue to have it operating. Now, obviously, if a critical part of its infrastructure exists somewhere outside your control, that's something different. But you should still be able to, um, in in my opinion, you should still be able to use that that device in some way, shape, or form, even if that provider's you know, cloud service has gone away or whatever it might be. And and I, I I think that you should look at products with that in mind. Now that's my perspective. I like the I like to um, you know buy things that I think are gonna have a long term, you know, a long life. And I don't like buying things that are a bit of a fad that work briefly and then, you know, manufacturer goes out of business or or does whatever and all of a sudden I'm left with a you know a paperweight that doesn't do the things that I bought it for and that that for me is where um this sort of I'm I'm worried about this kind of this kind of trajectory where you know great Mazda currently support this particular vehicle very well but we all know that that uh, that time is relatively limited in a, a car's life cycle um, the, the, the time and support for electronics devices is even shorter. And I, I think we should be doing all we can to reduce the amount of stuff that we are, um, chucking in the, in the waste, um, or recycling plant or wherever it might be, because, you know, hardware might work absolutely fine, but vendor has stopped supporting it. And therefore the, the device is no longer, no longer working. Yeah, and that's actually why the article really struck a nerve with me, that it's actually a car manufacturer, because uh, right to repair is very good in cars. Not because the car manufacturer wants it, because it's legally obligated, they need to have the manuals out there, not, about, not just about how it works, but why it works like that, so that somebody independent can repair it if the car manufacturer goes out of business. The last couple of years, computers have entered cars. I mean, look at a car, it's 
50-50 computer and mechanical device, I think. And those mm. computer parts have been very much guarded secrets. I mean, I think you still need to kind of find the dongle on the black market to be able to read out the car stuff if you're not a certified car repair shop of that brand. That kind of um, didn't fall under there. Uh, yeah. But it's all again uh, voting with your wallet, right? I mean, yeah. and the only reason I accepted to buy the Hue lights is because I knew they had a Bluetooth connector. So if their app stops, I had mm. a fallback. Mm. But now they're adding that login account. So yeah, damn if you do, damn if you don't. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think vehicles have got a lot better in terms of yeah, there are certain standards like OBD2 that allow you to get basic information and scanning. But to your point, you know, if you want much more than that, then you need fancy dealer spec diagnostic equipment. And depending on the car manufacturer, um, you know, that, that equipment can be relatively, um, relatively affordable or hideously expensive. And uh, it, it very much, you know, there are third party tools that have, you know, bridged some of these gaps, but let's not it's... talk about Apple, right? Uh, no, we're definitely not going to go down that route. Um, but yeah, I think the number one thing for me here is, you know, I, I would urge everybody to, when they're looking at their, their next purchase, if it sort of falls into this category that you, you may want to tinker with it, or you may want it to have sort of an extended life cycle, you know, just have a little look around and, and see how that manufacturer has historically supported this kind of interaction because there are some really good vendors out there that that embrace um, the uh, the experience that uh, people sort of contributing to it. Uh, one of the things I would maybe call out, and we're running a little bit long, but maybe you know if you're if you're in the we, we mentioned gaming PC, so I'm going to go back to gaming again. Like if you look at um, uh, vendors or uh, if you look at software studios that you know support and encourage the modding community for example like i think that's a, a hugely positive thing you know eventually every single um uh software developer studio you know sort of stops paying interest and stops paying care and attention to their particular products and moves on to their next um their next particular project and you know if you've got you know modding support and things like that then you do have the ability for that that game that particular piece of software to continue to live a life long after um those providers have kind of turned their back on them and you know you see things like um like i don't know fallout 3 for example we mentioned fallout in the previous episode we're going to mention it again you know it, it's a quite an old game at this point uh, fallout new vegas similarly um, but you know the modern community has kept those games alive and okay there's a huge amount of patches and things that you need to apply on them to allow them to run on modern hardware and and fixes that you know un unbalk so many of the missions and stuff like that but the fact that those games are still playable um, i think is is awesome and amazing and and something to be something to be celebrated but something that would not be possible without people being able to mod and and patch and adjust and 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 sort of modify uh, these games and i think exactly the same is true for uh for hardware and the devices and and the things like that that we are uh, filling our houses with in many cases 
So are you saying that Nintendo giving you the chance to repurchase all your old games again for the Switch because they just made sure your Wii doesn't work anymore? Oh that's not a good God. thing. Yeah, I think that's a <laughs> terrible thing. But, you know, <laughs> Nintendo is a company that's well known for, for disliking fun, so that perfectly makes sense. But they made Mario Kart. <laughs> yeah, you can now buy it, you can now buy it again. Anyway, I think unless there's anything else from you, reach Nintendo. That's peak podcasting. <laughs> In that case, that is definitely all the time we have for today. You can support this podcast by becoming a Patreon. Every contribution really does help. We are on YouTube. You can like, subscribe, hit the notification bell, do all the YouTube things. You can also go to rawrigelephant.org for a link to our Patreon page. And for more information about this podcast, send your feedback to podcast at roaringelephant.org. Until next time, my name is Schilling for the Fallout franchise, Dave. And my name is Why Does My Bicycle Not Have an API? Jon. We look forward to talking to you next week. Goodbye. See you then. <laughs>